If you're an athletic trainer with an interest in attending physician assistant school or a physician assistant who's wondered about transitioning to the world of academia, you won't want to miss today's conversation with athletic trainer, physician assistant, and academic coordinator with the Duke University Physician Assistant Program, Betsy Melcher. Welcome to the MSK Minute Podcast by Basics of Ortho. Our aim is to enhance your musculoskeletal knowledge and confidence through casual educational content and provide mentorship and wisdom from experienced clinicians and others involved in education and leadership. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jason Coggins. Before we get started today, I do want to take a minute and recognize our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine and clinical practice. Check out their READ app for easy access to research personalized for you and their other app Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. You can use these every day in clinic. Try them today at qxmd.com forward slash apps. Again, if you didn't catch that, it's qxmd.com forward slash apps. My guest on the podcast today is someone who I met and befriended almost 18 years ago when we entered the Duke University PA program together as classmates. Like me, she was an athletic trainer in her pre-PA life, and after graduating from the Duke PA program in 2005, she worked in primary care. Uh, before she transitioned to the world of physician assistant education with our alma mater, Duke University. Uh, she's in her, her 11th year with the DPAP and currently holds the rank of assistant professor and academic coordinator. And my friend, uh, Betsy Melcher, I'm honored to have you join me today. Welcome and thank you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this time together uh, since we scheduled it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited just to hang out and catch up. Um, before we get started talking about PA stuff, I'm going to start on a light note. Uh, Betsy is also a fantastic macaroni and cheese chef. Uh, in 2003, uh, when we were in school, I had, had a bunch of the, the classmates over that didn't go home for Thanksgiving, and everybody brought a, a dish, and Betsy brought the best homemade macaroni and cheese that I've ever had, and we got the recipe, and my wife makes it to this day, and it's one of my favorite dishes. Um, Where'd you learn to make that? I have to tell you, it's my mother-in-law's recipe who passed on to me. So I have to give credit to her, Linda Lyles, who, um, who I, I learned a recipe from her and fell in love with it and just adopted it into what I do. So it's always good to learn from others and take it with you when you go. Well, thank you for the mac and cheese. It's the best. Sure. I'm glad you enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. So let's start off just kind of at the beginning with your pre-PA life. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you were, uh, for the listeners, Betsy was an athletic trainer. Uh, where'd you go to school? So I did my undergraduate training um, at NC State University and was actually an undergraduate student in the Department of Physical and Mathematical Sciences, but I was a chemistry major, a chemistry biochemistry major. And when I started at NC State, I had done, um, completed my EMT training as a high school student. And Unfortunately, or fortunately, I was 17 at the time, so I was a young college freshman, and I wasn't, because I was not yet 18, although I had passed my EMT certification, I could not volunteer or ride with any of the local services. 
until I was 18. So uh, a credible colleague, um, Miss Nancy Andrews, who had been my instructor for EMS, had connected me to somebody in the sports medicine department at NC State and said, oh, I bet they would love to have you help in any way. And I ended up working in the sports medicine department at NC State as a student and really fell in love with that discipline of medicine. I knew that I was interested in medicine, you know, coming into college. I wasn't sure where exactly. I had... um, really decided to go to NC State because of the chemistry opportunity. I loved chemistry in high school. I had an incredible teacher, Dr. Toma. In fact, his son is a, a, a prominent uh, reproductive specialist here in the, in the community. But his father taught me chemistry, and I fell in love with it. So I just ended up at NC State and then kind of stumbled my way into sports medicine. Gotcha. Um, now, you also... So NC State, that wasn't uh, an athletic training... Mm-hmm program though, right? That's right. Yeah. So NC State. So at the time, the athletic training profession, just like the PA profession, has evolved immensely in the last two decades. Um, But at the time, you could become credentialed or sit for the credentialing exam as an athletic trainer by either completing a bachelor's degree in an accredited program or completing these seven you know, determined courses um, that were cleared or approved and some type of degree, and then you were eligible to sit for the exam as long as you had enough service hours or quote-unquote clinical hours, as we call them in the PA world. And so when I was looking at, um, when I fell in love my freshman year of college with sports medicine, decided I'm really interested in pursuing this further. And it was a nice marriage of interest for me. My father had been a my father had been a chemist, but he was also a football official for now 45 years in our community. And so I had a love of sports. I had been involved in athletics as a high school student, but I really was drawn to that. At the time, though, we experienced personal tragedy in my family. Um, and as a freshman in college, my mother passed away. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do at this time that I was considering making a, a, a transfer. So either looking at another local institution where I could go into an athletic training curriculum we had this loss in our family, and I wasn't sure what was things were going to look like for me, whether I was going to be able to continue to finish my degree at the time or if I was going to have to take a pause. And as things worked out, um, the relationships I had made in the sports medicine department, they awarded scholarships to athletic training students who serve, provided services there. So I ended up getting offered a scholarship to help cover my tuition and fees at NC State if I continued to work um, as an athletic training student and supported their work there. I also was able to, because NC State is a North Carolina school, you are able to take courses that aren't offered at your institution that are part of some curriculum at another institution. So I was able to take my athletic training coursework at Chapel Hill. So I went to Chapel Hill Tuesdays and Thursdays, my junior, senior year of college. I was at NC State Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing my finishing my chemistry degree. But I was able to get those courses in so that I could sit for the athletic training exam upon graduation, um, as well as gain all these hours working in their athletics department. I worked with men's basketball, with football, baseball, soccer, volleyball, swimming and diving. I had worked with a little bit of everything through my undergraduate career. Um, and so I finished my degree and decided that I really felt like I needed, I wanted more intensive experience within a, with a curriculum, an athletic training curriculum. And so it was a season in my life where my family was settled. My brother was getting ready to start college and my dad had, had moved through and was settled. And it was an opportunity for me to make a transition. And so I decided to get a graduate degree in sports medicine. And I had a graduate athletic trainer who worked with me at NC State who had gone through the program in Arizona. 
Um, so there's a sports medicine curriculum that is at A.T. Still University at Arizona School of Health Sciences, which is the program that had been developed at the University of Arizona. When the University of Arizona decided to rearrange some of their funding and their academic programs that were housed in this one department were all liquidated, this athletic training graduate curriculum moved up into Arizona School of Health Sciences, which is now a big allied health school um, in, the, in the Phoenix area. Um, so I, I went to Arizona. I picked up everything and moved out to Arizona and completed a graduate degree um, in sports medicine, which ultimately led me back to North Carolina because of my, who now is my spouse of almost 20 years. Um, My husband, who I had met as a young person in high school, had stayed in this community and had started dental school at Chapel Hill. And at the time I was finishing grad school in Arizona, we decided that we, we saw the long, hopefully, length of our journey together, and he proposed, and so we decided that I was going to come back to the East Coast um, and start that journey together. So I actually ended up coming back to North Carolina, and I was hired on staff at NC State and served as an assistant athletic trainer there until I started PA school with you in 2003. 2003. Um, So what, what led you to PA school? So I, even though I had grown up in this community in North Carolina, just down the street from the birthplace of our profession at Duke, I didn't know a whole lot about PAs before I actually went to grad school in Arizona. The program where I was working on my my sports medicine curriculum uh, graduate degree, there was also a physician assistant program there. And I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Susan Hillman, who was a woman, she's one of the first women that worked in the NFL, but she led our our anatomy curriculum. And I was looking for ways to pay for books and pay for rent. And so she hired me to help in her dissection anatomy lab to help create prosections for her course. And through that prosection job, I met some of the other students. So some of the students in the PT program, some of the students in the PA program, and became friends with those folks and really learned a lot more about sort of why they picked PA. What was that really about? So I didn't think about it a whole lot again until I came back to North Carolina. And then as my husband, Simon, finished dental school, and I was working crazy, fun, <laughs> exhausting hours as an athletic trainer at Division One school, you know, we started trying to think about what was what was our long, long, long game going to look like, and I loved being in the athletic community. I loved the travel. Um, I really loved, like, the emergent, urgent care, and we dealt with, you know, some of the wild, crazy stuff you see, but... I also wanted to have a little more autonomy over my hours. I also wanted to do more of the procedural diagnostic stuff that I felt like I got to observe and be a part of. I got to be on the front line when it happened. I got to facilitate the administration of connecting my athletes with the providers who were taking care of them. And then I got to go through with the rehab, which I like the rehab too, but I really wanted to dig into the diagnostic part of what we did as athletic trainers and sort of the acuity of that. And I wanted more scope. So when I realized that, and then I looked at what are the opportunities for myself long-term, PA was the right fit. And because I was fortunate enough to be already geographically located here in North Carolina, where at the time, I think there were six or seven PA programs, I think, in our state at the time. Four. It was only four. Thank you. Yes, there were four. Still, there were four. And there was Duke, and then there was ECU down the street, uh, Wake Forest, Forest and and Methodist. Methodist. Yeah. Yeah, Those were only four. We had those three kind of that were geogra- geograph- geographically, excuse me, close enough for me to consider 
you know, trying to get in. Um, and so we said, well, let's give it a shot and see what happens. And so I applied um, and interviewed, and then who knows how I still got involved, got offered an acceptance at Duke. I still ask that question all the time, but um, was fortunate enough to get to train at Duke and to become a PA. Were there any local PAs that were influential in you know, helping you along that the way? So one one of the local PAs that I worked with was somebody who worked with me at NC State, this gentleman named Tom Delonzo, who worked cardiology here locally. And Tom would always come in with our athletes in the fall, especially with our um, our contact athletes, so our football players, sometimes our basketball players, wrestling, doing EKGs and doing cardiac clearance and evaluation. So I got to know Tom a little bit through that. Um, and then we've had a, a couple of other APPs um, who worked with us who I had gotten to know and kind of got to ask them about what their interests were. But those are probably the most local ones. Otherwise, I was just kind of stepping out in blindness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had similar story. I didn't know much about the PA profession at all. I was considering going back to PT school or medical mm-hmm. school uh, until somebody just asked me if I ever thought of PA school. Mm-hmm. No matter if my, what's PA. So yeah. I, I met one PA, hung out with him, and I was like, you know, this is it. This, this is a right this, fit. This is a good fit. Yeah. Um, so you get into PA school, and you know, we start that you know, fire hose. You know, you know, drinking from a fire hose uh, thing, you know, was uh, what about your athletic training background do you think helped you the most in PA school? Well, I think there's there are several things that I think the experience of working as an athletic trainer and then the academic experiences I had as an athletic trainer that really contributed to my success as a PA student. I think my... Um, I think my experience as an undergraduate student trying to balance an academic curriculum that was very different from the work I was being drawn to and interested in and juggling the type of hours that are involved um, as an athletic training student. And then the graduate program I had completed in Arizona was one that was designed to prepare people to educate. It was a 96-credit master's, which is close to triple the number of normal credit hours for a graduate degree. Um, So that was really super intensive, and I think it was good to know that. But I think... As I started working um, at NC State as an assistant athletic trainer and juggling supporting graduate students who are working with me, um, just supporting multiple teams at the same time, I think the ability to—I hate to say multitask—I think it sometimes is time so, management. Yeah, but I had to learn a lot of really good time management. You're exactly right, and I think understanding and figuring out how to prioritize acuity of issues. Um, was something that I got. To, I came into PA school with, um, which I think really set, made some things easier um, because I had already been doing that. The load is heavy. PA school is heavy, but I, I think I hear this from learners all the time and from peers is that when you kind of fall into or, or get the opportunity to be where you find your fit, the work is hard, but there's a passion part of it that just mm-hmm. I think brings some comfort and ease. So I think for me, PA school. The hardest part, especially the first year, was sitting on my tuchus for long hours of the day. I had been used to being on my feet most of the day for long hours. Mm-hmm. I had been working 60, 70 hours a week. Um, so sitting for long periods of time was hard. But the learning part and like getting to, to kind of dig into things that I was interested in was really refreshing. And I think that that was inspiring. I had my moments. They were mm-hmm. hard. And I said, and I say this to the students I get to work with now, when I finished PA school, I said, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I did this, but you could not pay me a million dollars to redo the whole PA program. It's hard, right? It's one of these singular intensive experiences in your life that you think, I'm not sure how I got through that. 
And I chuckle because I tell people you should never say never about anything because I now relive the first year of PA school every every year year. (laughs) in my current professional role. Um, And so it's kind of funny, and I do love what I do, but I have learned my lesson that I should never say never about something I think I won't do because then I do end up doing it sometimes. Now, you mentioned just a minute ago it's important to find your passion, and that's one of the things that... PA programs do through the different rotations, you know, trying to not only educate, but you know, more or less give students a, a one-month interview, if you will, um, for different things to find out what they like and what's a good fit for them. Now, a lot of former athletic trainers, in my mind, a lot of them go into PA school wanting to work in ortho or sports medicine. Did, did you ever think that? or? It definitely was on my radar, and and because I was training at Duke, which is in in close proximity to the Raleigh area, I knew a lot of the orthopedic professionals in our community, and so those were relationships and contacts that I already had in place. And so as I went to PA school, and these individuals who had worked with me as an athletic trainer knew that about me, I had this sort of network, Um, and and I think a lot of presumed expectation that, yeah, you're going to work in orthopedics or in sports medicine directly. I went in really thinking, yes, that's where I feel drawn, but I also felt open-minded about it. I really was interested in what other doors were going to be open to me. And, you know, I ended up working in primary care, which was, I guess, I don't know that had you asked me that August, the day we walked in together um, into Haynes House and started our program, that I would have said, oh, I'm going to be working in primary care when I'm done. I'm not sure I would have said that exactly. Um, But I had an opportunity that developed out of a, a relationship that was built during a primary care rotation with a practice with um, three primary care physicians who really wanted to bring someone in-house that was comfortable, you know, quickly taking on the back pain, the shoulder pain, all of the musculoskeletal things that present in the primary care setting, and keeping some of that in-house. A lot of it is appropriate to go straight out to orthopedics, but there's a lot about musculoskeletal medicine that is a part of primary care medicine, and they they were interested in what I could potentially add to their practice by feeling comfortable with that content um, and already having contacts and communications with ortho- orthopedic professionals in our community. So I left PA school feeling like I have this opportunity in primary care. I don't know that this is for certainly true, but I, I will say there it has been true recently. It, it is not necessarily easy to get a primary care job out of PA school. A lot of primary care practices want you to have a year or two of experience, mostly because the onboarding process is intense and the need is so great. The ability to really deeply onboard folks in primary care is it, it's a different it's a different beast. I think onboarding in general is a beast. Um, but I realized the fact that I had this primary care opportunity out of PA school was a little bit unique. And so I, I, I leaned into that and took it. I also thought, gosh, I'm getting ready to take the pants. I'm going to have to take parenry again in five years. If I'm ever going to work PA, primary care in my career, ever, this is probably the time to do it. And working primary care early in my career, I felt like was not going to set me up five years down the road if I decided, gosh, I really want to work in orthopedics or who knows, maybe I want to work in neuro-oncology. I don't know. But that primary care would serve um, my skill building in a way that I felt like the opportunity was worthwhile. And so I felt like I wasn't going to lose the connections that I had from an orthopedic standpoint, per se, um, 
But yeah, that's kind of how I ended up there. It's also why I continue. I still maintain my ATC credential. And, and many people who are PAs um, and have been PAs as long as we have um, don't necessarily maintain their dual credential as ATCs. I'm one of them. Yeah. And, and I think that that's... There's not a wrong way about that. I have continued to maintain mine for a couple of reasons. One, I worked in primary care, and I did a lot of sports medicine in my practice, but I technically have never worked as an orthopedic PA. Um, Two, because I have a role as an educator now, and I interview lots of of students and people who are interested in the PA profession, and, and especially when you and I were applying to the process, there were a lot of PA programs out there that did not necessarily consider athletic training experience as clinical experience. And so I feel like maintaining my credential um, is important for interested folks to see that and to, to have that example. Um, and then, you know, I don't know what life's going to bring. And I recognize at some point, you know, I, I may be looking for a different job or feel called to something else. And I know that my athletic training experience and credential, if anything else, if my resume is on a, a stack of a group of individuals who are applying for an orthopedic or a musculoskeletal job, that just that credential alone will keep my resume on the table. Um, for them to at least look at me more than once. So I have maintained mine. That being said, you know, had I had the the privilege of experience that like you have had, you've got years and years now of work as an orthopedic PA. I don't think the athletic training credential is probably as beneficial, you know, in that instance. And so um, I will say maintaining both is not as straightforward and simple as I wish it was, because I think there is a lot of overlap and knowledge content. Um, but I do maintain both credentials because for those reasons I said, and, and also because the journey for me to get my athletic training credential was, was hard, as I explained earlier. And I really, not only, not only my PA credential, but my athletic training credential, I had to put the work in, um, and I'll own that. But I also want to say that there are probably two distinct individuals who opened doors for me to make this happen. And... The one for me to get my athletic training credential was Dr. Gary DeForge, who is considered the grandfather of athletic training graduate education. Um, And he took a chance on me admitting me to the graduate program in Arizona. I was a non-traditional student, not coming from a, a structured athletic training curriculum, and he took a chance on me. And then I will say, I got into PA school. I believe this. I don't know that this is true. Nobody's told me. I I can't see my own file. Um, But I got into PA school because of C.C. Schmidt. Yeah. You know, and I had the, I was fortunate enough that she drew my name the day I was interviewed. And when she and I interviewed, you know, Cece was a huge, is, Cece's a huge Duke basketball fan. And her husband, who um, uh, was a PA, was also, they were huge basketball fans. And so Cece interviewed me. She's in, She was an intimidating educator. Like, she was oh, yeah. phenomenal. And I remember feeling sort of intimidated in that interview. But then we started talking about basketball. <laughs> and I had worked a lot of basketball, a lot of college basketball. Um, and, I, and I believe Cece took a chance on me because I wasn't, I don't think, a really traditional student that Duke would have nor- normally taken a second look at. So... Yeah. I know that I think what makes a big difference is is passion. We talked about that earlier. I think being open to new experiences and ideas and, and sort of listening to your own calling, but also recognizing in the journey that it's those individuals that take a chance on you or those moments that, that shape kind of where you end up being. Sure, yeah, and those mentors. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I'm hoping to kind of bring out by doing these interviews with folks is, you know, 
sharing about our mentors and, and hopefully mm-hmm. we're being mentors to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go back. You, you mentioned when you were talking about your primary care experience mm-hmm. that one of the, the key things was your athletic training background because it made you more comfortable taking care of orthopedic patients in the primary care setting. Um, and that's kind of one of my goals through mm-hmm. you know, basically everything that I do with the podcast and the website mm-hmm. um, is over the years as a PA in orthopedics, I've seen this you know, shift to where any musculoskeletal complaint is immediately mm-hmm. shipped out to orthopedics. And, and that doesn't need to be the case. You can be a very effective musculoskeletal medicine provider mm-hmm. in the primary care setting. Part of that is knowing when somebody needs to be seen mm-hmm. by orthopedic specialty. But um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that mm-hmm. because that, that's important you mm-hmm. know, to me. And what I'm doing is trying to get primary care providers uh, more comfortable, again, taking care of musculoskeletal yeah. medicine. Now, I don't know why I'm saying that. It's basically putting me out of a job, you know, really. But uh, No, I love that you feel that way. I mean, you and I have been friends a long time now, and that is part of what drives um, my interest and sort of my commitment to what we do in the orthopedic and the musculoskeletal portion of our content in the PA program. And, and I'm lucky to have you and several other incredible individuals who come teach um, with us at Duke. We spend a lot of time comparatively to other parts of our curriculum and other programs that I'm familiar with, learning and teaching about the musculoskeletal system, the musculoskeletal exam, for this very reason. I think that I, my hope, and you know, we have really a very incredible mission statement in our program at Duke, um, and and we really are geared at a primary care-based foundation of knowledge, which I think sets everyone up to really as be a stem cell, really, and to differentiate into where they need to be. But I think a key element of that is that I don't think anyone can ever go wrong by making sure they have a toolkit, a knowledgeable toolkit that includes a very strong understanding of the anatomical principles of joints, of course, of all things anatomical. But in addition to being able to understand the anatomy, which is a key element of orthopedics, but being able to have at least two, one, two, from a really good day, three special tests or things that you can use to work through a diagnosis of a patient who presents with back pain or shoulder pain or neck pain or knee pain to be able to inform the decision. And, and just as you said, make it be able to make a decision whether is this something that needs imaging today or is this something that can be resolved with conservative care or maybe maybe some type of invasive care and it's something that you can do in-house, whether that's a joint injection or an aspiration or you know really being able to think through the diagnosis critically. And that's a big ask. There's a lot that happens in primary care. There's just so much um, in terms of being at the hub of all these pieces of medicine. Um, but I think musculoskeletal knowledge has got to be a part of that. And I want the students that I get to work with to have the tools in their kit to be able to reference back to what we've covered in that unit. Many of them will choose to do electives in sports med or orthopedics during their clinical year to enhance that knowledge. But I think what you're doing with your podcast and I think it's a big need because many folks, and I'm going to say many of us, because I'm referencing myself, I've worked in primary care. I have done some working um, at the Open Door Clinic here in Wake County with Urban Ministries. Um, you know, many of these locations draw folks in who don't necessarily feel super comfortable figuring out what to do with that patient who walks in with an orthopedic complaint. But I think having this kind of resource that brings it to a level where it can be quickly consumed, but also then quickly applied to your practice is such a key part 
of, of a service to our community. And that wraps up part one of my conversation with Betsy Melcher. Please join me next week for part two. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the MSK Minute Podcast by Basics of Ortho. I truly appreciate you and trust that you found today's presentation valuable and applicable. If you have, I would be greatly appreciative if you'd hit that subscribe button and leave a review. I look forward to having you join me for our next episode.